Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I would really appreciate it if you'd hit the subscribe button. I am in love with today's episode. Today is with Corey Mascara. He is a former monk. He's an author. He wrote a book called Stop Waiting for Your Life, and he's the host of the Practicing Human podcast. I've been following Corey on social media for a long time. He is has a way with words, written and verbal. And today was a really, really great display of that, um, of that verbal communication of concepts. I was saying, man, if people will just tune in and stay to the end of this, like if you want to be happier, if you want, if you have a longing to know more, to go deeper, to grow and evolve, like this is the episode of the way that it goes, how hard it can be, how much patience you need, how much letting go is required, how much facing things you need. And just like, you know, he shares so nicely. And I add a few of my little stories in along the way of examples of going through some of these processes. And like, it's just a beautiful, beautiful episode of, of how to, how to really invite change into your life. All I ever hope with this show is that you listen and that there's something that you take away from it. You can go, Oh, aha. Uh -huh. Like it's digestible and useful. These are just words. These are the show. I just, I do it because I love interviewing people and I love learning and I just want to share. Like I just want to plant some seeds with people and help them grow into whatever the highest calling version of yourself that you want to be is. And this episode is going to help you do it. So please enjoy. If you've been following me a while, you know that I've been drinking AG1 all year. No matter where I go or what I do, if I'm at the racetrack, if I'm in Europe for six weeks, no matter what, I'm drinking AG1 every single morning. When I started drinking AG1 daily, what I noticed was that my gut health improved. I could eat so many different foods without it bothering me. My skin has gotten better. My hair is healthier. So many functions that everybody wants to get better got better. It's so awesome. And I've been bragging about it so much that my friends and my family have also started taking it and they love it as well. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to support my body's daily needs. And that's why we have been partners for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 K2 plus five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash pretty intense. That's drinkag1.com slash pretty intense. Check it out. You have a lot of courses. I saw. I'm a, a teacher at heart, so I'm always creating new stuff, new retreats, new master classes. Um, I'm trying to figure out how it all pieces together right now. But yeah, I do have a lot of stuff. What's the most popular? The shorter ones always get the most signups. I did I did one on cravings, addictions and urges. And we had like several thousand people sign up for that. But the the more yeah, I have one called working with thoughts. That's a multi week course that really goes deep into working with the mind. And that one's been very popular. Cravings, addictions, urges, cravings, and addictions. Are there different ones for men and women? That I was really trying to explore like the underlying, uh, I would call it like the underlying energetic of, of a craving and what's going on in the mind body system and this feeling of like uh, an incompleteness until this is, this is gotten or achieved. And 
where does that stem from? How do we work with that? And therefore, it like kind of transcends and includes all different cravings and addictions. So I really tried to get to the heart of it rather than focusing so much on the particular context and content because it was such a popular topic. I, I really I'm going to redo that one and go very deep into it. Well, that's kind of cool. Actually, that's probably super helpful for people because most of these things is probably not anything that anyone wants to say out loud. And, you know, it's like it's and they all have their own unique things that are their issues. And it's always a root. Right. And that's kind of what I was thinking about when I saw how many different courses there was is, you know, I'm fascinated by psychology. I love figuring out how people work and even into the more sort of quantum physics realm of things. Can you trace things all the way down to a single sort of point that you should that you hit on that goes when we pop this bubble, it all opens up? Mm. Yeah, it's a fun question. If, if you were to trace it all the way back as far down, it's of some feeling of trying to move back toward wholeness and completeness. From the from the spiritual perspective, this would be talking about entering into the realm of duality, they would call it, which is like being a human where I am me and you are you, and there's a sense of separateness. And from that perspective, you've you've been taken out of oneness like a single consciousness and now are expressing through individuality and there's just this craving to get back to this longing to get back to home and completeness and therefore we're just constantly searching for that in in our lives through relationship through sex through porn through anything that we might get addicted to but anything that we're like i need more of that what is that showing you if you want something what about the not whole is that saying? It shows us how we tend to externalize this or, or the patterns and the actions show us how we tend to externalize this incompleteness, this void to something outside of us or the path to filling it up to something outside of us. And there's merit to that. I'm not someone who takes the perspective of, you know, you should be able to be completely content alone. I had that perspective when I was younger and and that's that was one of the motivations for doing deeper meditation work and living in a monastery. There was just this like this feeling like I should be able to be happy independent of everything else. And I saw that the nature of being human is is to very much be interdependent. I don't have any delusions or grand ideas that that people should be able to do that in complete isolation. But when it's happening unconsciously, when you're trying to get filled up by something unconsciously or someone or something, that's where we tend to get into uh, tricky territory because now we're we're depending on the external environment. We're manipulating it or telling someone to be a certain way for us or something to be a certain way for us or needing things to be arranged in a certain way for us in order to feel okay rather than maybe first just like acknowledging ooh something feels off here uh, i have a desire to feel connected and then leading from that place in a more conscious uh, honest way when you said interdependentness like being interdependent and that is more of our nature and i think it's so cool that you took the chance and were brave enough to go and be in silence as a monk for 6 months so I'm very curious about this, and we're going to follow this path all the way to your wedding, essentially, because I have more questions about as being dependent or interdependent. 
And do you mean that with someone else when you say like, we're not meant to do this alone? Yeah, I, I mean it in all the ways that we can be interdependent. I, I mean, e even just from needing oxygen, like dependent on our environment, friends, connection, yeah, family, which can take so many different forms, but yeah, being in partnership as well. Th this human has evolved to have different needs. And I, I think denying that or not including that in one spiritual or growth work uh, is just like, it, you then end up getting an incomplete growth path in this life, or you end up spiritually bypassing a bunch of stuff, which is like, I don't need other people in order to feel whole or complete. And it's like not actually true. You're performing that rather than deeply embodying it. So instead of asking you what you get with community, what is it that you're lacking without it? I think might maybe the better question. Yeah. And not to pathologize the, the longing. I, I think we can view that longing, like that feeling of incompleteness or not being whole. I think we tend to pathologize that and spiritual communities do this as well, personal growth communities that like something's off or you're you're too dependent on the external world. Like yeah, there may be some merit to that. Maybe you've very much set up your life to need accomplishment, other people, sex, other people being a certain way for you in order to be okay and happy. And like without that you have a void. Cool. Definitely got to look at that cuz you can't you can't live your life in a full way and, and not be impacting other people in a negative way if you're completely dependent on others. That's like the nature of codependence. I need you to be this way for me in order to be okay. So with that understood though, like some people then hear, especially when they're engaging in a spiritual journey where they're like, oh, can I cultivate this contentment independent of external things? then when you feel that longing for connection or love or being in partnership or just not feeling empty, we can try to med meditate our way around that or out of it or, or just pathologize it with our own mind that something's incomplete about us. But the very nature of being human is this it, it, almost like an insatiable incompleteness. It's just the nature of being in duality. It's an inherently partial experience of aliveness for me to feel like I am me and you to feel like you are you and like never being able to merge or feel oneness. So we're all trying to come back to that. And that longing, I, I like the orientation I like to take to that is like it's it's your soul trying to come back to its essential nature is one way you can put it. Or you can just view it if you're taking more of a, a secular approach. It's just the part of you that is inherently whole and not caught up in ideas of I'm not good enough or I need this in order to be all right. Like that part of you, it's just trying to emerge more and more deeply. And so that longing to be with another person or to be in partnership or even to fulfill uh, a craving if you really look at the essence of it, you really get down to the baseline energetic of it. it. It has this feeling of once I have that, then I'll be okay. And uh, until you can have that conversation with yourself about how you're relating to the world around you, you're going to get caught up in kind of delusional ideas of like, I need a certain amount of like a certain amount of money or a certain amount of friends or a certain amount of success, all of which is is like true. It's just not the complete truth. And 
when you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, you get to the essential thing that's motivating all of this, which is just like this deep feeling of, of wanting to feel at home in yourself. And because we're in duality, that longing gets externalized to needing to have other people and things. You're using the word inherent, and I get very curious about what it is about the nature of this reality and ask many questions about like, is this just part of our experience? Is there no escaping this? Is this just inherent with our experience and we have to learn how to deal with it and accept it? So the question is, is that this duality, this longing being inherent, meaning to me, what you're saying is, is this was forever. This is part of being human. And so is that what you're saying? And is it a matter of just getting closer and closer and closer to sort of being at peace with things as opposed to ever feeling like maybe you'll never be complete because in this three-dimensional realm of duality, there is a visual separateness. You can't ever escape this inherent nature on this plane. The more I make permission for all layers of my myself to be felt and experienced without making them wrong or denying them, like everything that comes with being a human, jealousy, impatience, craving, longing, wanting love, needing to be boundaried, wanting my alone time. The more I, I make space for all of that, the more I see it's just the, the inherent where when I use that word, like what's inherent to being in a mind body is the impermanent nature of experience. And, and it is to have all of these needs that constantly want to be uh, fulfilled and the constant feeling of once that's okay, or once this tension is resolved, then I'll be able to relax and complete. And it, so it just shows up with everything from the moment you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm groggy. And then it's like, oh, have coffee. And then there's a feeling attaching coffee is going to be the thing. And then just cut out it was the last of my uh, stimulants to cut out a few months ago. And I wanted to see what happens if I really just like take away the last of my painkillers. The first thing was like how much I don't enjoy doing mundane work that if I just if I just stimulate myself and put on some cool music, I'm like, yeah, totally. I can write a bunch of Instagram posts and do a bunch of emails. And it's so easy to judge people from that, especially in like the hustle culture. If you look at so many of the people hustling and putting and like putting the grind mentality out into the social media world, or just like, you gotta, you gotta work hard. You gotta do that. like the amount of compensation through exogenous, whatever, it's like through the roof. I heard some scientists talking about the neuroprotective benefits of nicotine a couple of years ago. So I, I'm always curious in the optimizing department. And so I tried it and um, I was using very small doses and it's delightful. Uh, it's not this huge high, but it's just like, whew, gives you a little buzz that makes you want to do stuff. You have a great quote. I, I wrote down a whole bunch of quotes, so I'm probably going to end up, I was I, I'm going to plug them in where applicable, but it, it, it makes me think of this being proud of yourself for taking a break despite others thinking you're lazy because you know that sometimes it's actually way harder to slow down than simply keep grinding. I love that. Yeah, I think that's applicable here as well. I've needed to give myself a lot of permission for a certain kind of unwinding in the last 
six months. So, so I cut out that nicotine and then I was just like, oh, wow. I was really buoying myself into a certain mood and a certain like desire to work through this substance. And you can make the argument like, who cares? Why not just do that forever? For whatever reason, uh, I was just curious what it's like to do that without. And then I cut out caffeine as well. And I found it, I did not have the same level of, of motivation. And I needed to give myself uh, like a long period, like permission to unwind for a period of time to want to let my adrenals reset, but just to see like how much cultural pressure and influence there is to be performing at a, a certain level consistently, especially when you're running. I think that that um, points to another quote that I think is applicable here, which is long-term energy comes from alignment, not anxiety. If you want consistent motivation, make sure you're connected to your whole self, not just a childhood idea of what you need to achieve in order to feel less empty. Like, because one of the things that I've experienced in my life, by the way, I just have to say you're a wonderful writer, which is why I've, you, I wanted to use a bunch of your words today because you really put things in a very simple, digestible way. So well done. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, but it, it reminds me of one of the lessons that I learned in my life, which was that the things that are meant for me give me energy and what's not meant for me takes energy from me. And we're not talking about the same amount of energy expenditure for either at all. Like I could go do 30 minutes of like the most boring questions some reporter has to ask me, or I could do, I could be outside gardening. I could be outside gardening for three hours and like I get done and I'm bubbly and excited. But when I took 30 minutes to answer some questions sitting on a chair and I feel zapped from it and I, it was such good, it was, it's such good body feedback on what's meant for you. So like with the knowledge that the mundane things do not like drain you. Like, how do you adjust your life? How does someone take this, put this into action and go, okay, these things totally drain me. Now, what do you do? Sometimes your life just completely falls apart. <laughs> it, it all. So um, I, I say that a bit facetiously. Sometimes that, that can happen, but I, I caution against people doing some version of that where you have this wake up moment and you're like, oh man, everything that I've been doing is just completely off. I've built my my life on a foundation of abandoning myself moment after moment after moment saying, yeah, this is good enough or I'm doing this because I'm going to get some thing that'll make me happier in the future. And it's just like lots of moments where you had the opportunity to align and then you compensated a little bit. It's yeah, just building a, a, like a Jenga foundation that eventually you get to the top and it's so wobbly and the whole thing collapses. What what can happen when you have that realization is many people go, oh my gosh, I'm doing everything wrong. And then like, I need to blow it all up in order to have my foundation again, or in order to get back into alignment. That That is actually the ego masquerading as wisdom. It's another end of the continuum of like, I'm just going to passively resign to my life to I'm going to like, completely destroy everything and it doesn't feel like destroying but it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna completely throw it all away so i could start fresh and go like you know have a bar in maui i just so i'm gonna get divorced leave the kids and and that's also one thing that scares a lot of people from being an honest conversation with themselves where they they fear that 
they're going to get in touch with something that indicates that what they've been doing um, is not quite right or is out of alignment. And the implications of being being in honest conversation with yourself just feel too massive. What if this is the wrong partnership? You know, what if I like I'm not actually fulfilled in my work? And like, what's this going to mean for my kids, for my connection with others, for how I make money? And um, and that's where I really encourage people to slow down, to recognize that just because something is coming through doesn't mean that the wise thing to do is to blow it all up or even that you should blow it up. Or even like if you're in a partnership that doesn't feel quite right, just because that's coming through and you have the recognition that the last 30 years have like you've been abandoning yourself in the relationship or vice versa, doesn't even mean that that relationship has to end. All you know right now is what's arising, what's happening is not working in this moment. And that's where if you let that, right, just treat that as like a soft whisper of wisdom moving through you. And and it often has that quality. It's it's um it's just like something's not right. Something's not right. Uh, and it feels off. You you start listening to that. Like that you just want to protect. It's very precious. It's it's like I would call it like the quiet whispers of the soul. The ego, the ego tends to be more uh, loud noisy yeah excited lusty this person is going to be everything for me i can't wait to be i finally found my partner the person that's going to make me complete right that's the ego that's like a childhood wound externalizing its wholeness onto something or someone else and so that like lust has that feeling but the ego also has this defensive thing of just like oh my god for the first time i'm seeing that everything everyone around me it's ruining my life and so i have to destroy it that's also like a childlike uh, get me away and make me safe. So all you know, and this is where you want to go slow, is just like something's moving through that's saying it's not quite right. I have a longing for something else, something deeper, more connection to be seen, to go slower or to be able to work harder, whatever it might be. And that's the the first step for people in those positions. I I just say just your only job right now is just to stay in quiet conversation with that part of you. You don't need to act on it. You don't even know what it means yet. All you know is that there's something coming through with the current arrangement of your life. And it's like, okay. And it and truly, if if you just stay in conversation with that part of you, if you just keep listening to it, giving it space, giving it permission, that you can make the argument that that can take you all the way throughout the rest of your life. If you just stay present to it, because it, it will eventually inform action. You may be scared of it for a while. You may override it. But if you stay, presence has this pressure cooker type nature to it. And if you shine presence onto the reality of what's here without numbing it or suffocating it, eventually that that voice of you could call it like truth, but like let's just say like the whisper deeper inside of you, it's going to get louder and more prominent. And it's going to it's going to move its way through your conditioning. And when I say conditioning, those are all of your ideas, beliefs that you've developed over a course of a lifetime from a very early age about who you need to be and what you need to do in order to get safety, love and praise. 
usually all of that is suffocating these softer whispers in our being. And it's these moments where the system just gets so overwhelmed that it kind of like lets go and you're brought to our, your knees that something actually has the space to come through. And it, it's those softer whispers that end up arising. If you now shine the spotlight on that and you start protecting it and holding it as precious and listening to it, it will get louder, not in a noisy kind of way or a violent kind of way, but it will get amplified in the system and it will become stronger and it will start to take on a life of its own where then abandoning yourself or doing something that's not in alignment or doing something that's codependent, you, you will hit points where it's like, I literally can't do this anymore. I just have so much, one, I have so much compassion for anyone who's walking that path. Anyone who finds themselves in this place in life where it's like, I have, I have built something that I now realize is built on years or decades of maybe being disconnected from myself and something's coming through and I am so terrified of what it means to follow that and I don't even know where to start. I, I have so much compassion for, for someone who even just has the willingness to acknowledge that and I more than anything in this life, a hundred percent back a person's right to that journey, to taking the steps down that journey and, and, and following where those, where that thread takes them, where the unwind, when you follow that thread, like what unwinds and what patterns have to be seen and burnt up, um, that are no longer serving to you. That's, it's basically my sole intention and, and my work and in my personal life uh, of doing that. I, I think it is the most sacred work you can do as a human being. And, and so I will back anyone 100% in that journey always. And I also know how brutally hard it can be and how much might need to fall away as you do that. And that's why I say, go slow. You don't have to blow it up. This can take, this can take place over the, the next 30 years, 20 years, but trust, trust the unfolding through you staying in conversation with that new place in you because it's precious and it, it will give you answers yeah. of what to do next. You should probably mic drop it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> So true. And it's just like so many things. That voice is so, so subtle. It's usually short too. sort of the soul's messages are usually very short. In my experience, they're like, you know, or like there'll be a couple of words or maybe a sentence at the most, but it's just like, it's just this repeating theme. And you're like, okay, okay. And that slow part, I've only come in the last year or two to really be better at that. But the slow part is because in my experience, the path is not quite laid out yet. Like, like if you go slow enough, the right opportunities just fall into place. Like it should, it ends up becoming obvious, not easy, not effortless, but like you don't have to effort for the right answer. It kind of becomes obvious and then you know what you need to do next. Yeah. Does that make yes. sense? Does that resonate too? Totally. The obviousness of it, like in, in the beginning, and I think you're alluding to this as well, it's not obvious. I, I mean, there's so right. much noise in the system. Oh, it's How just scary. You, yeah. It's just, just like, like, holy shit, what am I going to do? 
it's a mess in there. And yeah. how do I parse anxiety from intuition? <laughs> and it's and, and so I would also say to anyone on that journey who's like so frustrated with what it means to be yeah. human, or even like you might get mad at me hearing this, like, well, how do you do it? I would just say, like, start by staying, staying with the frustration and and know that you are so not alone in, in in feeling how complicated and messy this is. And and usually the anger that extends from that is just like an unwillingness or or not wanting to feel the discomfort of it. But if if you just first meet that and drop in and and trust that there's a journey here, I can say from my own experience, it it is potentially, and I would argue a hundred percent that it is the most valuable journey you take in your lifetime because it's your journey with yourself and everything extends from that. And I, I just, I also want to just define some language because we're, we're using words like soul and ego, and that can feel like it, it has like a, an overly spiritual or religious connotation. I use the word soul, um, mainly because it, it seems to be something a lot of people, uh, it's a word that's more used in our society to talk about this deeper place within us. But if you want more of a psychological lens for anyone listening to this, who like, I, I always filter everything through 10 year younger Corey when I was starting out with this stuff and I just rolled my eyes. So it, the psychological, I think the best psychological way to think about this is um, there's a uh, a therapeutic practice called internal family systems created by Richard Schwartz. And, you know, he was working with people who just were in deep pain, suicidal, uh, just like really in the depths. And what he found is that, you know, he's the founder of, of parts work, this idea that there are all these different um, facets of who we are that take on different roles to defend us, to protect us, to manage the system, to keep us safe. Uh, and it's really beautiful because I think we can all identify with that. And and a, the, a great book for that is No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. But anyway, the thing I have found most fascinating with his work is that like a, across all the people he's worked with, one-on-one, -on -one, thousands of people in all different contexts, right? And all these different parts that emerge that cause people to do an infinite number of different kinds of things, even though they might have similar patterns. Behind all of those protective mechanisms, for every single person, he found there was something consistent that served as the backdrop for all of it. And this is what he called self and we could say it with like a, a capital s and it was this like space that wasn't trying to overly protect you or manage you or like sabotage your life it was just sort of still in the background and it had it, there were these consistent qualities of it of being compassionate courageous confident calm and I think I, I when I first came across that in psychological literature, I, I just thought it was super interesting because if you go into all these different spiritual traditions, they'll talk about it in different ways as spirit, as soul, or as awareness. Um, in a lot of Buddhist practice, they talk about just this backdrop of awareness that's that's witnessing everything that's happening. But here he came to that himself through his own work with people that there's something consistent for everyone. And what is it like to actually lead your life from that place rather than from a protective part that emerged when you were three, year old, 
three years old that said, if anyone gets too close, um, we end up losing love at some point. So don't let anyone come in. And now any future relationship, we kind of have these knives that protect anyone from getting close to us, right? That would be a part. But when you drop beneath that and you get still enough to feel the space behind it, there's something else. And I think when we often think of like leading our lives from our best self, what most of us are pointing to is that other place within us. So when you hear me use words like soul or ego, soul, I'm basically referring to that space behind it all, self. And ego, I'm referring to the parts that get developed in order to protect the different needs and desires of, of your human. Do you know who Teal Swan is? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we're friends and she did a little parts work with me one day for about five hours. Wow. <laughs> and so we went into a couple of different aspects of me. One was, of course, like the so basically she was kind of identifying there's this sort of like guardedness, like there's like a there's something very tough there. And like, what is that? And so she told me to go to a spot in the room that represented that aspect of me. And so I like sat on the arm of the couch and like stood there and I was like, you know, very like poised. And um, I went into this aspect of me, like you have to fully embody it, which isn't that hard, actually. And I got into that and that like my voice was different and my stance, my words, my everything I had to say had to do with like protection. But for me, like, yes, the self is back there, but the self is being hidden behind someone protecting me from something that has happened. Right. So I needed to, so I had to put up a big front because I was young and exposed to a lot of things and I needed to be tough and strong and I couldn't let anyone in. And I had to be, I just had to be very vigilant for my space and my energy because I had so much to do and to do it so fast, to do it so young. And I was very protective of myself. And so I would, I would only like really resonate with other sharks as we called them. Like she's like, yeah, but yeah, maybe there are some decent sharks, but maybe you like want a koala bear, you know, like maybe you want, like there are other animals out there. Like you don't have to just allow sharks in. And so it was defeating the purpose even because all I was really letting in were other equal, like really tough people. And so, and then the, and then I flipped over to the opposite side of that, which was and then I took another spot in the room and I like laid out on the couch and I kind of curled up and then I just started crying. And like the other side of me was super chill and calm and relaxed. And I just like want to cuddle. And so like that part of me was then able to be seen. And so then, of course, for both of them, you talk about like, what is it there for? What role is it playing? What is it protecting you from? And what, you know, basically what's the story you're telling yourself? And it was fascinating because I was so two totally different people. It was really interesting. That's a great, a great story. I could feel all the different layers of it and my own personal experience of it. Have you what, done parts work? Like, like, does that like, was your yeah. friend? Yeah, I, I've done it in different ways. Okay. Um, I think what's been most striking to me about parts work or, or the experience of these parts is how fractured they can be. I mean, that's kind of the, the nature of a part that it's fractured from something else or it's separate, but fractured in the sense of like when a certain part comes online in a particular context, it almost, it can feel impossible to access the worldview or the emotions of, of the other part yeah. or of self. Mm -hmm. 
which is why, you know, you, when right. maybe you feel calm or relaxed in a particular context, you're like, okay, I know I need to do this. I, I know I need to break up or I know I need to get out of this job or I know I need to take this risk. Yeah. And then when you get closer to it and something gets activated and the part comes online to protect you, then it's like, it's almost like you can't even, you can't even access the part yeah. of you that knew you needed to do it. Like almost like an anxiety aspect to it. Cause like anxiety being that thing you can't get out of, like you're just stuck in it. You're totally right about that. Yeah. And I just found that super fascinating and it really characterized, I mean, my relationship journey getting to where I am now with my partner, Brianna, where we just got married a few weeks ago. But the first five years were just characterized by deep not knowing and being like to some like ineffable force that like pulled us together. And then a lot of stuff that needed to be worked out that was preventing actually feeling like the foundation of, of truth in our connection and lots of parts that each of us activated in the other that made it seem like maybe this isn't right but i i remember at, at various points in the relationship it was very clear that we would need to take space and i'm very clear in that in us getting to the point that we eventually did that like we needed to come in and out of partnership uh, for a while. And there were times where like, I, I knew when I was still and calm that I was like, all right, we need, we need space. It, it would sometimes come up as, um, this needs to end. Mm -hmm. And my ego would be terrified because it didn't feel right that the relationship was to be over when I really checked. I was like, oh, is this so like the quiet part of you was like, we need space. But then the louder part was like, oh my God, that's, that's dangerous. And yeah. What are the implications of that? Yeah. And that, that's what the ego is in conditioning is concerned with more of like a linear relationship to your life. And to, again, to get like more spiritual, like wisdom typically comes on a vertical plane and the ego works on a horizontal. So the vertical plane is just like the truth of what's happening right now is all that we have. The horizontal plane is like, what is this going to mean in the context of past, present and future? And am I going to be alone forever? You, and that is just so beyond your pay grade to be able to know what any moment of knowing actually means. And I, I couldn't even make the argument that the whole like what the spiritual journey looks like in the three dimensional world is just learning to trust those moments of knowing as they're unfolding. But for, for me, I would get these moments of knowing and then it would be hijacked by my ego mind. And it's like, well, if you do that, you're going to be alone and you love this person. And, and so. I would have those, I would hold on to them of just like, all right, we need to do this. We need to, we need to take space. And I would literally be like walking up to the door to have this conversation and my heart would start racing. My mind would start going and I would, they, they call it blending in internal family systems where the part masquerades itself as the wise self. And it, it feels like the most true thing. And then I would be like, wait, what am I? What am I doing? It, do it doesn't make sense to do this, and and I couldn't I couldn't access that deeper knowing again. And it was just so interesting to see how some of these parts that have particular worldviews and ways of defending you and don't want you to be hurt or want you to get certain things, when they come online, um, it's very difficult to to feel anything else. Uh, or to to reconnect to the truer thing, and and that's why it's important to 
there's a bunch of practices you can do with this. And a lot of them are in that book, No Bad Parts, but even just doing visualization practices where you give a visual image to the part, maybe a, a younger part that's protecting you, that's saying, we can't do this. And then giving a visual image to the self that's saying like, that knows that we should do this. And, you know, for me, sometimes that part looks like a five-year-old version of Corey. And I'll imagine that in front of me, maybe sitting in a chair. And then the wiser part will like look like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings or something. And, and by putting some visual form onto these internal energies, it allows you to be in relationship to them rather than this like messy soup internally. And then you can have them communicating to each other. And, and I would just, I would have, and I would really keep it as simple as like, ask the, the self part, you could call that a guide to communicate with the scared part and ask like, wh what are you concerns going to happen? And then the scared part can ask the, the self, like, how might you be able to help me with this? Are we going to be okay? And just having them come. Uh, converse as two separate entities helps with that unblending process so that there's more space in these moments where you're trying to make decisions to guide your life from a deeper place rather than it just feeling like one mess of noise. Yes. I forgot about that part, but it also helps you feel it's almost like doing inner child work, um, being call it the self higher self. Like I look at them all as very, very much the same. But when I was working on boundaries, I had to look at it like for her because then I could do it. But if it was for me, it was too messy or I'd deprioritize. But like, if you were to say, is this scenario okay for like a little girl to experience? You go, oh, hell no. And so you get a better gauge because it's, it's like exacerbating the reality, which is it is separate from you. The self is behind it all. So like you get to be the observer then watching this dynamic, you go, oh, Oh, that's what's going on. And it helps crystallize things a bit more. Big time. Yeah. And yeah, the first moments of seeing that distinction between a part and, and a self is just a very, uh, I mean, it could be life transforming, but it, it's, it's quite liberating as well. It, it, give, it provides hope too. And it gets you in touch with the part of you that across the board, every person has this experience. It just feels more you mm -hmm. and, and true. One of the things that I want to speak to a little bit is because people listening probably are very interested in this. They're interested in self-development. Um, they've probably been through quite a bit, or maybe they're on the precipice, or maybe it's that they're into it and the person they're with isn't. And they want to know how can they like get in there and help them. And so I'm very curious, like the word truth has come up. And <clears throat> one of the things I hadn't talked about this in a while, in a little while, but the, the idea that people don't want to know the truth because it essentially, when you start to know the truth about anything, um, but especially the fundamentals, like if you could start, start to get the exposure to the fundamentals of the truth of religion, maybe, or um, politics or your parent, whatever, whatever it may be, just the truth, that's the building blocks of your entire life. And so people, my theory being that people avoid that because they subconsciously know that when they deal with any one of those that it essentially like the house of cards falls because the the foundation is that and it's built upon it. And so 
It might imply some things that you mentioned. It might imply your job changes, your relationships change, your friends change, where you live might change. And, and I think that people might subconsciously know that. And so I'm happy for you to speak to that, but I'm, I'm also just generally curious if this is something that I feel like I've had to also just sort of make peace with is that I just don't know if everyone is meant to evolve. Like some people get to the edge and they go, no, it's not for me. And they turn back. And like, how do we love someone through that? And do you think that's even true? Do you think that we're all meant to evolve or is, are some souls here just to, maybe this is the cruise control life, you know? Yeah, I definitely think that's true. That people, you could call it, they have a different uh, dharma or karma. Like there's no uh, craving to grow. They don't want to yeah. learn. They don't want to know. They don't, they, they're really, really happy in their bubble. They're happy in their little town. They just mm -hmm. don't want to. They don't crave getting out. They don't crave the unknown. And if we take a slightly more like unified approach that uh, let's just say at the heart of it, we are all coming from the same thing. And that same thing, we'll just call it like consciousness, oneness in this reality is expressing itself through individual form. From that perspective, it's less that like, oh, I'm, I'm evolve, I'm evolving and I'm growing and you're not. And more that this thing is just expressing itself through the fractal of, of this plane in all different ways. In the same way that like a beehive, all of the different bees are, are like working in unison in different ways to support something, or even just like my own individual body. It's like my thumb does a lot of work, but my pinky doesn't do as much, or like my little facial hair over here is really not doing as much as my hands are doing or my heart. And I wouldn't necessarily say that, oh, my heart just really is a lot more evolved than this piece of facial hair here. It's all kind of like playing a different role in the system. I think it's it's one approach we can take to like how we're all collectively growing in duality and we're just playing like different roles for it all. And and with that said, like we can have we can have a ton of space for other people's journeys and ton of compassion and ton of love for like that. And if we also feel that that's not working for us being in relationship to them, regardless of what the relationship looks like, then we're each honoring that within ourselves. And if, if our voice is particularly louder than another person, like this is important, then yeah, then, then we're in a conundrum. It's, it's the conundrum of, of self-awareness where it's just like, yeah, there, there is to not want to see so clearly and to not want to grow as much like life can be easier in a certain way you suffer in other ways because of that but to be uh more asleep or even just let's put it in a positive frame to be more okay with just the way things are can be a lot easier and and for those who may be in this particular lifetime, just have this deep desire to see more clearly for whatever reason. I mean, you, you can't even take credit for that. Where can I, I don't know where in my experience I could actually take credit for how that developed in, in me versus like my brother or my sister. And we all have it in, in different ways. We had a, a similar upbringing. We were, we were given some genetic foundation 
and then a fairly similar social uh, upbringing. And we express in different ways. I, I don't know at what point I can say that like uh, that I installed the desire to go live in a monastery and see more clearly in a way that I could like actually take credit for any of it. It all just uh, uh, moved through me in a particular way that, yeah, for whatever reason, when it did move through me, I said, this is what I want to follow. But even that, like if I had a more traumatic upbringing, then I might have felt like I don't want to go into that. And and why I someone would have a more traumatic upbringing than me, again, is just like too beyond my pay grade to, to discern or to take any credit for one over the other. So the what's the point I'm trying to make with this? Well, I wonder, let me ask a question. So since I really firmly believe that everyone is a mirror for us and that I don't see things as they are, I see things as I am. And so if I'm with someone and I want them to grow and evolve and change, let's say, it's actually probably showing me me in a way that I need to figure out what do I need to just accept about myself? What is it that I'm striving so hard for? Where can I have more peace and acceptance in myself? And it's it reminds me of one of the um one of your lessons from you have like I think 33 or 31 lessons that you like took away from being a monk. This is number eight. What you hate most in others is usually what you hate most in yourself. And so this sort of idea of like what we judge in someone else usually is very much a lot of times what we deny within ourselves. So like if we're judging that someone doesn't want to change and grow and evolve, then we're probably denying ourselves the ability to sit still for a moment and just be okay. Like you don't always have to seek. You can just enjoy the trees and the dogs and the kids and the whatever. Like it's like what part of you can't sit still? So it's probably more of I'm processing out loud right now. It's probably more of that. Does that does that do you think so? Like what are your thoughts on that? Big time. Um that that one point when that post made its rounds on social media, um, it reached far corners of the internet, uh, the whatever it was, the 31 lessons from living as a monk. That one point was the most provocative one for people. Really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's so that true. Which you, which you uh, hate in others is often what you hate in yourself. And it, it's, it's not an absolute thing. You can make an argument for an absolute version of it, but people would often push back on that by saying so like if if i hate seeing war does that mean that i like hate that in myself or that that's just purely a reflection of something that's not integrated in me rather than like something really being off externally i i think even with something like that if we don't have space for our own capacity for let's just say violence then when we see it externally we're gonna we're gonna take an even stronger stance of bad 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 and there's a difference between doing that unconsciously when a part isn't integrated and we haven't made space for like our own capacity for the things that we hate outside of us that that those seeds are also within us maybe just not watered um it's it's one thing to do that unconsciously uh and it's another thing to do it to do it consciously where it's just like yeah, I see that I have the potential to be doing what this other person is doing. And at the same time, it, it's not right. And like, this is my stance 
that I'm going to take in relationship to it. That I would say is like embodied activism versus disembodied activism where we're kind of just performing the sound bites of what you're supposed to say or like a performative idea of what you should do because everyone else is saying what you should do. So going back to the, the main point here is like, yeah, people are hugely a mirror for us. And if we have a real strong particular charge in relationship to another person, it usually does represent something that um, we haven't made space for in ourselves. And I think your example was was great. I do see this, you know, because I do a lot of work with stillness and meditation and the value of that, even though that's not the whole game of what I teach. But I, I see it a lot with people who do very intense sports. Um, they have a lot of judgment. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar in this world. Um, right. And, and, and th that's probably why you named it as an example as well, because I'm, I'm sure you've seen yeah. it in other people or seen it in yourself. Lazy. That's the number one for me, lazy. I, I judge, just judge lazy people so much because I didn't even, I literally rest was not on my vocabulary. Like rest was like, it's just called lazy. Like, oh, I'm just being lazy today. Like not I'm resting or I'm recovering or whatever. Like it was not in my vocabulary. So I judged them because I absolutely denied that in myself. I, I just want to give you props for this because it's so huge for people to hear this from someone who's actually gone through it to be able to be able to name it in the way that you're naming it, um, to do it in an embodied way. Like you saw you saw the part clearly and are now on the other side and you could also see the value of it in your life and still engage in the part of you that likes to work hard uh, and intense, but it has space rather than being the defining characteristic of you. And yeah, and I, I had that as well, not as strong, but it was, I mean, my life was very much characterized by intensity. And I found a monastery that was arguably one of the most intense monasteries. And I was just like, I want to cry, I, you know, 14 hours a day of meditation and silence, <laughs> not eating much, like not sleeping much on a plank of wood. It's just like, I want it to be hard. And so you could see how you could, you could bring all of your conditioning into the practices that are designed to unwind your conditioning. And sure, um, exactly. It's sneaky, man. It's very sneaky. Very sneaky. What were some coping? Did you have like, were there some things in the beginning that you ended up realizing you were using as like slight coping mechanisms for this for yourself? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, at least in this context, like using using intensity to try to get me to wholeness. I mean, my my orientation, which served me to an extent was like, if anyone's going to get enlightened at this monastery, it's going to be me. <laughs> so um, it's a it's a very interesting approach to take when you're trying to see beyond like the individual nature of yourself, and you're yeah. taking a very self oriented approach. So I mean, I, <laughs> I'm going to win this. Exactly. I am going That's to win meditating. I'm going to get enlightened faster than anyone else. And, <laughs> so I and true. it was it was a good, I needed to play out that pattern. Because if if I were to, if someone were to tell me to just uh, like calm down a bit and to perform calming down rather than really seeing clearly that I needed to calm down, it wouldn't have landed. Like I needed to see very clearly that this pattern was not serving me. Because up, up until that point in my life, I think I just had positive reinforcement for that pattern. Oh, sure. And, and so I, 
would push myself like we were waking up at 3 a.m we'd go to bed around 9 p.m but i was cutting my sleep down to a couple hours a night i was meditating up to 18 hours a day and and i would even there was such an emphasis on maintaining moment to moment continuity of presence that i was trying to eliminate any single moment of the mind wandering and the way i would do that was when i was meditating focusing on my breath i would imagine a string going from my awareness to my breath. And as long as those were connected, then that string was tight. Now, connected to that string was a pulley system that had a, a tray hanging under it with my whole family sitting on top of that tray and underneath them was a bed of lava. So if I were to not be aware of my breath for a moment, the family. string would snip and then I'd kill my family. Oh my right? God. So like, I would use, and it was- You couldn't was, even tell anyone that you were thinking that because you were in a absurd. silent monastery. And honestly, I don't even, my teacher might've approved of it, honestly. Oh, and yeah. it, it, it served, like, I don't want to completely throw it out because it was, it was useful to an extent, but the main thing that it was useful for was just highlighting the intensity of this pattern and showing me yeah. that I wasn't actually getting what I wanted from that. It was, it was really- while my concentration was getting deeper and I was developing a certain level of awareness, I was also developing a certain background feeling of, of really being wound up. And it was only through like following that through to completion and being like, I literally can't do this anymore. And then on the heels of that, I can't do this anymore. Something just softened. And I was like, oh, I can actually just be in my experience, aware of my thoughts, aware of my emotions and my sensations just here without straining and then mind wanders and i could just i can hold the mind wandering with love and grace and then come back and and i i was able to see that there was a different way to be in relationship to my whole experience and i i, I give that background because i i think for a lot of people you might you you're aware of patterns that you might be doing but there's still there's still a sense of feeling like it's serving you in a really positive way. You haven't yet seen maybe what other people are telling you they see. And I had a lot of good teachers along the way, especially after I got back from the monastery, who really gave me permission to follow these patterns. Like certain patterns, uh, I remember. I remember I had a lot of complicated, a complicated relationship to money after living as a monk because all of that was based on donation and a lot of complicated stuff and spirituality around money. And then um, I had one teacher who spent even more time in the same monastery that I was at. I remember telling her just like, I feel like I, I want to make money, but I shouldn't want to make money. She was like, why don't you just like let yourself try to become a billionaire? And I was like, wait, what? And she was like, yeah, if that's like, if that's a pattern that needs to play it out, well, you're not going to play it out by telling yourself that you shouldn't want it. Now you're just, that's spiritual bypassing. Like I shouldn't want this. So I'm going to be someone who doesn't want it. But what do you have? Then you have a mind that's telling you something, but deep down, like still like this underlying belief that if I did have that, then I would be okay. Sometimes that pattern needs to be played out and seen through clearly and vividly before the system actually lets go of it energetically. And then on the other side of it, you have real space and clarity. So for anyone that's in that, like, unfortunately, you might have to sometimes run yourself into the ground before you realize like truly and clearly 
that that's no longer serving you. And then usually on the other side of it, you have a complete holistic perspective of it. And you never, you never throw it out entirely. Like the, you can always see the merit of what that served for you and what it may still serve for you, but also see where it's been incomplete. Beautiful. It's, 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 we think of, um, for me, one of my favorite books is the alchemist and the met and the lesson to me in the alchemist was that, you know, the boy got, there was point A to point B. And presumably when you get to the end of the book, it seems like, oh, it was just kind of right there. And like, things were simple, but, but it's like, it's, you can't just go to B. You can't just take a step and go to B. You actually have to go this roundabout way all the way. And that actually is the fastest way. That is the only way. And it's the only way. And we think of all these tribulations and trials and adversity and, and, and we think of it as like wasted time or it's, they're all part of the process. And we all have a different point that we have to get to before something really sinks in. And that's the, that's just life. Sometimes it's just, you have to let things run their course. And even though you think it should have been easy and you're like, oh, if I'd have just done that, you have to yeah. go through the whole thing. Yeah. And, and I just can't overstate the importance of that enough. If you bypass any step of what's in front of you, you're going to have to come back to it at some point in the future. It's, it, there's just a, there's an energetic law to it. I don't understand why I can make an, uh, an argument for it, but I mean, there were things that I did in my child, like little dumb things that were unethical. Like when I was seven years old and my mom asked us to take out the trash, me and my brother, and I like fell on the ground and pretend I got injured so that I wouldn't have to do it. And he did it. it just like something dumb that a child would do, or this child at least, that came roaring through when I was in the monastery. When, when my heart was opening, it was like it was just incinerating anything that has ever been out of alignment in my life. And I just like I had to feel deep pain, a betrayal of myself, of like feelings of not being a good person. And, and so and, and I always see it um, just like anything that I sidestep or don't want to feel fully, I have to make up for it at some point in the future unless I'm going to just keep suppressing. You can keep suppressing until the end of your life, but then you pay for it in other ways. If you want to really continue to be open and honest, you can't bypass that, that process. I think Jordan Peterson says that absolutely nothing is free. You get away with yeah. absolutely nothing in your life. You get yes. away with, and like the implications of that feel heavy, but it should be inspiring to, to live in integrity and figure things out because Again, he's like in his, he said, I've never, I've never seen anyone get away with anything. Like doing a tally on my life right now. I'm like, oh, what have I, what, what, what's left to, what's left to balance out the, the, the scales. I want to read this quote. Uh, if you ask how I can make it through, if I, if you ask how, if you ask how I can make it through this, you'll get answers to help you survive. If you ask how this experience might bring out the best in me, you'll get answers that help you thrive. And it makes me think about, you know, the nature of the universe and also just like orienting with our perception. I believe the perception's reality. And so how do we, how do we shape that? Like, what are the, what are these laws of the universe that we can use in our favor? Yeah, right. Well, I, I think perception is, uh, is a way that we can channel our life force. 
which uh, or or just our energy which i would uh, argue that the mind in general is a is a way that we channel our energy and so this in this case this is a you know using the role of of questioning to generate different answers and and open up different things in you and so if if like yeah you're going through something difficult and you just ask the question how am i going to make it through this well then like at best you'll get something that maybe helps you make it through it because the the mind is a a question answering machine but if you ask something different like how might this bring out the best in me or what might this be inviting me to touch or to feel or to see well now now you're actually letting this experience trouble you into a deeper conversation with your soul and you know if if your orientation is to see more in this life then that framing with the mind won't just take you into survival but it'll take you into opening and descending and expanding yeah yeah i i find that i find that when like I'm happier, it changed my perception, then your world just keeps changing, you know, like, you know, it just kind of is a ripple effect. Yes. Yeah, big time. And Yeah. And then you get these upward spirals that Barbara Fredrickson out of UNC Chapel Hill talks about, where like, the, the role of a, a positive emotion can then cause you to think differently and more positively and feel better about yourself, which then might cause you to go reach out to a friend and then that feels good and then you feel more inspired and go like oh i'm gonna go take that dance class that i was thinking i I couldn't do and then that leads to more movement in the body you get more positive emotion and you just get these like upward spirals in your life that can start from just single moments like this another quote that's similar is of yours is uh an interesting thing happens when you start to respect yourself you become much more sensitive to other people not respecting you and much less tolerant of it yeah yeah, this is another one that people have found or it can be a little controversial for people because a lot of people, and I agree, have the experience of um, as they respect themselves more, they they just don't care about other people not respecting themselves. It's true. I would say that's a little further downstream. But usually what, what you see as you develop a uh, self-respect and, and how does self-respect get developed, I think my experience is primarily through the kind of work that we're talking about where where you meet head on in your experience the depth of complexity that comes with your humanness and you keep showing yourself over and over that you're willing to meet that honestly and work through the noise and try to parse the soul from the ego and wisdom from the anxiety and only you can see just how complex and difficult that is. When you do that day after day after day, like the natural byproduct of that is one self-trust because you know that you're listening on the deepest level and no one can tell you otherwise. And two, self-respect because you know how hard it is to do that work and how many people are basically inviting you to abandon yourself in service of their ideas of what you should be doing. So that's how we start to get this self-respect. And my experience is as that gets developed more and more it's like it has this purifying effect in the system and you start to see how much self uh, lack of respect you've tolerated from other people because you haven't actually known what respect feels like because you're not giving it to yourself 
So as you give it to yourself, you're then aware of like, okay, what's the absence of this? And you see it when other people are, are doing it. And it's just like, whoa, how have you been in my life for so long if you treat me this way? And, or like, how have we allowed this dynamic to unfold like this? And that's where you start to put up boundaries or in other ways you, you can get to a point where it's just like, you see their pain at the root of, um, of whatever they're saying to you, the way they're disrespecting you. And in that way it might come, compassion might come from that. But I want to make a point about that, which is that a lot of people think like, once you start your spiritual or your mindful that you should jump right to that point uh, and just be compassionate. And I would just caution against performing that compassion. If the thing that is most prevalent for you is like putting up a boundary and it's just like, hey, don't talk to me like that. Uh, even if there's some anger there, like, like make, there's a role for making space for that first in your system to play out the energy of that and then and you can you can have compassion in the background but if you go a little too much into like i know everyone's suffering and it's just their pain they're causing me just because of their pain you again you can miss something you can get out of sequence with the process and what first might need to arise is like hey the most alive thing for me right now is that like this isn't working. I, I don't like that you're talking to me in this way. And that doesn't always come out super clean. As nice as it would be for that to come out super clean, it, it sometimes doesn't. And I have a lot of space for messiness. And yeah, sure, learn good communication strategies. They're, they're definitely important, but make space for the dimensions of your humanness. Do you believe that we can only treat someone to the level that we treat ourselves? I do believe there's an energetic truth to that as well. This is another one that tends to get some pushback. Uh, it's like similar to you're only able to love someone as much as you're able to love yourself. I think there there is a reality where you know a lot of people who struggle with self-love can deeply care about and and tend to another person. Um, and this is why in certain meditation practices where you're cultivating loving kindness, you might first start with a puppy or your child or someone for whom it feels easier to feel love and then you turn it toward yourself. But there, the anyone who's also walked this journey deeply and opened their own heart to themselves will see that there is another level of what you're able to offer another person, like how you're able to hold them in the depth of their complexity in like a true unconditional way that only really presents itself when you've done that work internally. And, and it's, it's just because it's not really about you versus another person. It's just about like the heart's capacity to hold complexity and, and pain and suffering and hatred across the board. And so if it's stuck anywhere here, it can become a little more mental when it's applied to another person rather than like a fully embodied, pure openness that that fully embodied pure open heart space like when it's it it has space for for everything um and so the the resonance the frequency of love in that way is, is all enveloping yeah and it almost feels and it feels very 
it's almost like when it gets to that point, I'm just thinking of people I, my life, like they don't even have to do anything. Like there's a, there's an embodiment to the reality of their care, like the, the realness of their care. It's just sort of sometimes presence is already enough. And again, I keep hammering these points home, uh, of sometimes the journey, uh, almost always, no, always the journey of getting to that open heart space is preceded by not being in that heart space. It's preceded by anger, sadness, grief, confusion, hating people, hating yourself. Mm -hmm. And so if the, the whole journey of this opening is just like you stay with exactly what's in front of you. You stay in sequence with exactly what's in front of you. You meet it as honestly and as open and compassionately as you can. And then you trust what unfolds from there. That is just like the step by step by step forever. And anything else, uh, just easily, it becomes performed spirituality. It becomes, I, I should be, I should be kind. I should be heart opening. And, and then you're missing what's actually here, what needs to first be touched. It seems like a good ending. I was going to ask you what you feel like is the most life-changing skill or trait that you have cultivated. I don't know if that's it or not, um, but feel, feel free to share if you have something that's different. Otherwise, that was beautiful. Yeah, it, it would be. It, it would be that. It's for me, it, it just, you know, what my time in Burma did in, in the monastery there, which kind of like kicked off my spiritual journey, is it developed a deep companionship with myself. I say the biggest thing I got out of that experience was becoming my own best friend. And then as I brought that into the world where things were way messier and more complicated and so much harder being in a relationship. Oh, yeah. They always say um, it's so easy to be a monk on the hill that has no problems yeah. or like it's just simple. Take the monk into the real world and that's the challenge. And that's been my experience dead on. And and so with that companionship in the real world, yeah, this bigger thing is just a continued recognition of one, it is all super complex. So cut yourself some slack, Corey. Two, the complexity is not an excuse to abandon yourself or abandon responsibility in relationship to it. And three, like just keep showing up as honestly and as sincerely as you can. And, and if you can do that, then what you literally, there's nothing else you can ask of yourself because you're just showing up with, with an open heart and with as much curiosity and humility as you can. And if you're doing that, I just, anyone who's doing that, I, I give a deep bow to you. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. So beautiful, so deep and so enlightening and inspiring. And as, as your writing is just the same as your words, super clear and digestible. And that's all I ever hope with the show is that there's somebody listens and they go, Oh, like that makes sense. And you do a really good job of that. So thank you. Thanks, Danica. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening to the pretty intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more,